Sunday Puncher Podcast, we are back for another episode. I have Fred here with me all the way from the sticks out in Canada. If you couldn't tell, you'll, you'll be able to tell once you hear him talk. And then we got Stu from England. Uh, nice to have you both here on the podcast, ready to talk about all this news. We got Sean Porter over here just squeaking by with a split decision. Deontay Wilder, who knows where his next fight's going to be. We're going to discuss that, but let's get into this. Um, you guys want to say hi? Yeah, sure. Hey, isn't Stu from Scotland, though? Yeah, Whatever. I am. Oh. He, he thinks he's being funny. <laughs> oh, man. Stu gets upset when, when, you, when you don't say that he's actually from Scotland. Uh, Stu, you're, we'll talk about this because being from Scotland, you're going to get a fight coming up soon featuring, yeah. what, zero Scottish fighters? Well, Taylor Scottish. So it might, it, the main event might still be two Scottish fighters if Balanchek does pull out and they replace him with Ricky Birds. All right, that's enough. Nobody cares about that. Let's talk about Sean Porter. He wins a split decision over your Dennis Ugas. Guys, I got to ask you because this is the talk. Um, actually, you know what? Let me ask you this, okay? The, the general consensus, I think, would be to talk about the scorecards after the, the fight. But let's first answer this question. Was it a good fight? Stu, was it a good fight? Yeah, that was quite enjoyable. I think there was still a lot of the features that a Sean Porter fight has where it's a lot of scrappy work on the inside, and that isn't so enjoyable, but... He did, he did try and box for a bit of it, and I think Ugas was pretty entertaining. I think it was a pretty good fight. What about you, Fred? Uh, yeah, it, it was a good matchup. You know, I think a lot of people, this is one of those PBC cards again where people said it was going to be a showcase fight, but they obviously didn't know who Ugas was. I, th- I thought it was a good matchup. Yeah, I I, th- I think it was a good fight, but not in the traditional sense of like, the, the Abel Ramos versus Francisco Santana, that was a good fight. This wasn't that kind of fight, though. This was a good fight in that you had some high skill on display. Although, in, in Porter's case, it was poorly executed. But it was certainly um, pretty solid in terms of entertainment. Especially the anticipation of, when is Sean Porter going to abandon this style that does not work? Anyway, um, let's get to the scorecards. That's what people want to hear us talk about. So, we'll, we'll do that. Um do you think that the scorecards were, were any good? Did the judges get it right? Um, how did you see it? Fred, let's start with you. Uh, I Well, I guess they're good, you know, except for DeLuca gave the 12 to Porter, which I really can't see. But otherwise, I think it was a good, you know, like uh, I, I can't fault it. It's a close fight. You know, it all depends on what the judges prefer. And you could see that with uh, especially the one wide card to Ugas, you know, he wasn't buying what Porter was working. Like I, I've, it's not a fight where you go. Well, it's really a robbery, even though I think they got it wrong. I thought Ugas won, and yeah, the store cards are good, but uh, re screwed up those two knockdowns for sure. Yeah, well, I, I definitely am going to agree with you on the knockdowns. I think, um, well, you know, I could see one of them being a slip. They, you know, when they showed the replay, it did, it did look like that was a classic uh, slip. But the one in the was it the eleventh or the twelfth? That for sure looked like it could have been scored a knockdown i think it was a borderline call like i i think reese made the right call in terms of like uh like more of an overall like that wasn't legitimately a knockdown and didn't abide by what the actual rules might say he's supposed to do in that situation i i think that's another example of jack reese trying to take it in his own hands to to craft the narrative of the fight 
but apart from that, like I think the the scorecards were accurate. Um, I, I agree with you. I don't think uh, Porter won the twelfth. Uh, I don't know what Deluca was thinking. What, what did Deluca score in the end? Uh, he was one fifteen, one thirteen, I think, for Porter. Ah. Uh. So that's where it becomes interesting, especially with the knockdown, like not being counted. See that that twelfth knockdown, you can look at Porter's foot was off; it wasn't even on the canvas, like when he got hit. So I don't know how they really get it. Just a slip, eh? You get hit, you go down. That that should be a knockdown, just like yeah. Mancini was talking about. You know. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, if if Porter doesn't win that twelfth, it's a draw, which would yeah. probably have been the more appropriate um, score. You know, I, I for sure thought that a lot of the punches in the fight were, and we'll get to this, um, Ugas got a lot of credit for punches that didn't quite score. You know, punches on the side, or in the back, in the back of the head. Those don't score. But it's really hard in, in the span of a fight during the middle of the round to distinguish the the scoring blows from the non-scoring blows and then take that into consideration um, in the middle or when you're in the middle of rounds when you're actually putting down your score. Uh, what about you, Stu? Do you think that the judges that they that this was the appropriate score uh, and result? Yeah, well, I probably edged it to Ugas, but I think the fact that one judge gave what nine rounds to Ugas and another gave eight rounds to Porter, and neither of them were really that out there shows how difficult the fight was to score, as opposed to the judges being incompetent and not seeing it. I, I think it would just a very tough fight to score, and I probably would edge it the other way, but, you know, it was such a tough fight to score, I felt. Um, one interesting thing is that, you know, there there are three judges in a fight. There are three of us right here. All three of us saw for Ugas. And I'm starting to wonder, like, okay, we all see the argument for Porter. None of us is going to sit here and say Porter didn't win enough rounds to warrant a scorecard or two. Right, but all three of us, three other judges, could have seen it the other way. But you know, I, I say that because I, it's just something to to observe, to be present to. Um, but in the first round, I'm like, this is going to be controversial. Like, I, you can just already see it. Like, not much was happening. You had counterpuncher versus counterpuncher, um, and I, I think the judges scored it perfectly. And you know, you could have one perspective or another about this fight. You know, you're, you're entitled to your own opinion. Um, whether you think Porter won, whether you think Ugas won, whether you think it was a draw. Um, but if you sit here and if you think that the way you see it is the way to see it, like, I got news for you. Like, you're the one who's wrong because we've talked about this in the past, but judging is – there's three judges to give three different perspectives, and you have to win on all those those different perspectives. Now, you may say, well, why don't they all have the same perspective? And then we know who's the real winner and who's the real loser. doesn't work that way. It's just it's very hard to do that with human beings. We're all subjective to some sort of um, external biases coming into play. And um, do you think that the fact that this fight was in California lent itself to Sean Porter's style? Because we've talked in the past about how the, the judges in New York will favor something different than the judges in California. Um, in California, they typically prefer the activity, whereas in New York, it's more of the sharpshooting. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to this, but like, it's an interesting thing to bring up uh, with this fight. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I don't know if it's regional or if it's more uh, 
to the individual judge. Like I like I said, especially a fight like this, just like uh, the what's his name Figueroa fight. You know, like close fights, you're gonna end up with these wide scorecards, and people think they should be close. Like all the scorecards should be really close, but it doesn't happen like that. If the one guy prefers a certain style, he's gonna pick that up. You know, and he's gonna he's gonna edge these rounds. Like this fight, you know, it, it's it wasn't a lot of action, so they sort of would come together, they would trade, and so the judges are gonna see whoever they thought was coming out with the better exchanges in those trades. That's why it was such so weird. Why you guys? I think- Oh, go on, Sue. I think one thing is if you think it, if you think it's a regional thing, it's, it's kind of disproven. Even if you look at the judges in the fight, because one scored it wide for Porter, and then the other one scored it wide for Ugas. And if it was a regional thing, you'd kind of presume that this it would be fairly uniform in how the judges would score it. Well, obviously, that's what a six or not a six round swing, but a five round swing. Either I- way. Yeah, I think that should become a term that we start to use. Like, how many, like, let's legitimately, we should be defining fights, but, like, as a three-round swing could go, three rounds could have went to either guy. Um, you know, it's it's a bit more accurate of a way to assess a fight because this there was legitimately five or six swing rounds in this fight that could have went to either guy. And whether you alternate who gets the swing rounds or you give it all to one guy, this fight was really close. Um, why do you guys think it was such a diff? Like, I, I, I thought not only was it close, but it was difficult to score. Um, why do you think that might have been, Fred? Why do you think that? Well, it- yeah, it's because they were trading in spots. It wasn't like one guy was pushing the action and they were exchanging anything. It's sort of like they just they'd come together, and throw punches, and then they'd back up a bit and then go at each other again. Like no one was. It, it didn't. It wasn't like anyone's really setting the tempo. You know, they were both sort of waiting on each other. And the the this, uh, the way I feel about Porter is that he sells punches a lot, like Bradley. You know, like yeah. Porter looks like he's throwing these massive punches. But there's something in the fight. Like Ugas would hit Porter. When he got a clean shot on his head, you could see Porter be affected by the shot. But when Porter's throwing these big, like, looping shots of his, Ugas wasn't really reacting to him too much. So, like, I think Porter... I think he can steal a few rounds just by looking like he's doing something good, which if if you know how to do that as a fighter, that's, you know, that's good work on your part. But I, I think that's where these Porter cards come in because like, he knows how to sell punches a bit better than some other guys. Well, I, I think that while what you're saying is true, he didn't really do that this fight. Like Porter was not fighting the Porter style. Well, not the crashing style, but he was a bit more selective this time. But he was still doing his, his little uh, sell on a lot of these big punches. Like yeah, he wasn't he wasn't crashing like he usually does. No, not at all. Um, but then, it, go oh, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. yeah, go ahead, Stu. I think it's you know the way Porter punches, even if he isn't crashing, the way he, he punches makes it just tough on the judges. That it's very rough, even when he isn't going inside with his head, he isn't forcing the ref to break him up. He's still just not very clean, and it's so tough to judge how much damage he's like not very pretty punches are doing you know because he's throwing so many of them and he's inaccurate it's just so tough to see how they connect and how hard they connect as fred said you know it's he he often looks like he's punching a lot harder than he is well because he's so aggressive and he's so um you know he punches with his whole body now that doesn't translate for some reason into having having any power because obviously he hit ugas with some good shots last night and didn't do a single thing um wasn't able to hurt him. Uh, 
to me, this fight really came off like the Arizona Lara we saw um, against Castano and, and, and against Jared Hurd fought the old version, the 2014 version of Arizona Lara. Like, both of them had this counter in their heads like they knew when they had thrown and landed enough punches in a round for them to just relax and take it easy. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that made this really difficult to score is the fact that there's this expectation that you have as a fan going into a fight that, like, a, a Sean Porter is going to fight a Sean Porter style. And if he's not fighting that way, you're just kind of waiting in anticipation for when is Porter going to get on this guy? When is he going to maul him? Because say what you will about Sean Porter's style in the past, it's far more entertaining to watch than what we saw last night. That was not fun to see Porter bouncing around, staring at Ugas, fainting for punches that aren't coming and punches and counters, therefore, that he's never going to throw. He couldn't lead the action because his arms are too short. He couldn't get find, figure out the distance. And, and it just did not work for him. And, like, in boxing, we have this stupid stigma that you have to decisively beat the champion in order to take his title. Is, is, that, is that said well enough, Fred? Uh, yeah, that's a holdover from when it actually used to be true. I think you used to have to stop a champion no, it's, for a it's, brief it's, period, you know. But, yeah, no, no, no. But, yeah, you're the point right there. I, I thought the judges didn't carry any of that. Like, it wasn't. Well, I, I'm going to go the other way. I, I don't think that that's true. I don't think it's ever been true. I think anyone who says that is stupid because that doesn't exist. <laughs> it is a myth. Do you know what's actually true? I'll tell you what it is. It's that you don't have to decisively beat the champion in order to, to, to take his title. What you have to do is you have to perform better than, ex, better than you're expected. Because everyone expected Sean Porter to come in and just school Ugas to, to, to maul him, to stop him, whatever. Whatever the case, okay? He was the favorite, and, and that, that happens a lot. It's not even the champion. It's the A-side. Whoever's the A-side, everyone has this backup quarterback syndrome with the, with the B-side that if the B-side has a little bit of success, people start to think, oh, it's a robbery because the B-side you know, was far better than you expected him to be, and then the A-side wasn't as good or fought in a way that you didn't expect him to fight it. And, they, and the credit gets like gets shifted, and... and I'm going to steal your gimmick, Fred. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to bring up Floyd. But Floyd's a good example of like in fights, people were so focused on Floyd that they saw things in fights that weren't actually happening. Or they saw things and, and they it's like being on Twitter and one person agrees with you so you start making these blanket statements that the world agrees with you. That's not really the case. What it is is that you saw one example of of someone landing on Floyd doesn't mean that Floyd's defense is slipping or his legs aren't there or whatever. Um, but, but I think that's what it is. is ex, all these expectations, uh, specifically around the B side and Ugas at, at this, at, at this, in this instance, he performs a little better than everyone thought. And it was a close fight, no doubt about it. But people are so shocked by that, that they give him too much credit. They overcompensate for that. Do you think I'm wrong with that assessment? Oh, were people actually upset or something? I don't know. I haven't been paying attention. Yeah, people people think it was a robbery. Oh, well, yeah, no. Oh, see, I don't get that at all because, like, again, like I said before, I thought this fight was going to be close. Sure, the, the way Porter came in and fought, I didn't expect, but I thought this would be a close fight, you know, and I thought it would be a good fight. So, I'm, yeah, maybe that whole people being upset, that, that missed me. You know, like, I, th I thought Ugos won, but I don't think it's a robbery at all. Like, the, you know, Porter... 
Porter did enough. It's not like he wasn't doing anything. It's just he fought a, a different style of fight, and it's fine. Yeah, he, yeah, and I agree with that. Like I said, when I say that used to be the case, that was like you know over a hundred years ago or something for a very brief time. But people have kept this myth that you've got to beat the champ to be the champ and or that type of stuff. And, and it's just that's all it is is a myth. I, I don't know if people are freaking out now. What are you gonna do? Well, I mean, goofs. Yeah. <laughs> well. It, but but it'll be a case. It's it's one of those cases where they don't know who Ugas is, and then as soon as they see a guy fight and be normal, you know, like I said, that that's very strange. Like it's, but I talked about that before about how everybody thought it was supposed to be a showcase fight when like they first announced this. When they announced all the the PVC dates, people like on Twitter, boxing writers are like running them down and trashing the fights when they're all good fights, you know, and they've had upsets in these matches like with the uh, Plant, you know, and because people don't know who these guys are. And well, so if they get shocked and usually when they suddenly start cheering for an underdog and then the, they just want that narrative of, you know, the underdogs always getting screwed. And no, nah, I don't think that was it. Yeah. And, and I saw people uh, um, in the chat on Twitter talking about the Callum Johnson versus Shawnee Monahan fight and giving Johnson a ton of credit. It's like, wait a second, just because you know Monahan's name doesn't mean he's any good. The, the, the only time he's had a fight like on on any sort of platform he got stopped in the first round like how does beating this guy give you give you any credit but because people know names they think you must be good and with ugas uh people thought since they didn't know his name that he must not be good but obviously people don't really follow that closely i mean what do you think about this whole conversation with expectations Stu? i thought i was i, I really just think expecting porter to clearly win a fight against even a half decent fighter like Ugas it's just it's misplaced because you know Porter just makes things difficult in the way he fights you know because he, he's not a very skilled boxer he, he he relies on activity relies on you know that crashing style a lot of the time and he just makes things ugly and you aren't going to clearly win fight and make it look easy when you're fighting that ugly I, you know I, I think that's a good thing uh, that you brought up there Stu <clears throat> If we look at Sean Porter's resume, how many fights has he clearly won since he beat Devin Alexander? Yeah, Molinaji's the only one you could come out without like researching it that he clearly won. And Andre uh, Berto? What else? It, it, you, you could say Broner. Like obviously Broner got like, knocked down in the twelfth, but Okay, I'll give you Broner. It was still pretty clear. Okay. So his clear win since winning a title is Devin Alexander, Andre Berto. Paulie Molinaji and Adrian Broner. Ah, but I, even with the Broner fight, like it's more I thought that was a Broner close fight. wasn't doing anything. Yeah, it's, it's, it's again, you know, and then Broner showed when he woke up, he dropped him. You know, that that's more on Broner. Like I wouldn't say in uh, terms could, of the way Porter was fighting, it was a clear, decisive win. Like Stu says, you're not going to get that with Porter. He's he's always going to look either he smothers his own activity or he looks wild. You know, it's just. He's not going to be picking guys off with sharp shots and clean shots and getting out. Well, he's he's got a face first style because even when he fought Eric Bonet, people thought he got hit a ton on a on a last minute uh, uh, replacement opponent um, against Adrian Granados. While he clearly won that fight, there was still a lot of exchanges where he got hit. And I think in this fight, he tried to employ a, a style that is totally new for him, and it really didn't work out. Like, he looked caught in between his styles where he was trying to box on the outside and then also maul. Like, I don't know. 
like what got in his corner's head that they thought that the right style against a Cuban fighter was to try to outbox him from the outside when you're also the smaller guy. When has that ever been a good idea in boxing? Yeah, I think they wanted to try something against Ugas, but that see Ugas, he usually wasn't the typical Cuban too. You know, like he he would try to come forward more, but in this fight, he again just relied on the the counter punching. So yeah, it was, it was kind of a it's kind of a strange fight for both camps. These two guys both showed up expecting completely different styles, and it just looked like neither guy was actually prepared to win this fight. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fair, I think. Um, what do you guys think that they stand at welterweight now? Mm, well, I've felt this for a while. I think Porter is the weakest champion in the division. You know, I think he gets put into the mix because he beat uh, Danny Garcia. But we saw, you know, Thurman, even though Thurman was kind of banged up in that fight, you know, I think he pretty clearly beat Porter. So, he, uh, yeah, I think definitely he's uh, he's, he's the weakest. He's, uh, he's not up there with Spence and Thurman and uh, even maybe Crawford. Would you rate him above Pacquiao? Uh, I don't know. The way Manny fights... I think Manny could Manny could beat him because he's still got some of his speed and experience. So you, you think that there's tough. a possibility that Spence or not Spence Porter beats Pac or loses to Pacquiao? Yeah, unless Porter goes like a full Jeff Horn type thing. That'd probably be the smartest thing. The only problem is that he's like the same height as Manny Pacquiao. What about you, Stu? Yeah. Where, where's Porter? Where's Ugas at welterweight for you now? I think they're both kind of firmly outside, like that top three of welterweight and Spence, Thurman, and Crawford. I think, you know, they're kind of in that zone just outside of it with guys like Danny Garcia and Manny Pacquiao, obviously. And I think, you know, Porter comes away, you know, looking in a similar place he did before. He didn't really move up anywhere. He didn't really fall I think Ugas comes away like there was a question of is Ugas, you know, about fifth, about top five and welterweight before this fight. And I think after it, you know, you you probably say he's about fifth, sixth, that kind of range of ranking and welterweight. OK, so I, I, I'm going to disagree with that um, just because I'm going to I'm going to read off the names. Spence. Yeah. Ugas is not above him. Crawford. Thurman. Porter, Danny Garcia, Manny Pacquiao, Mikey Garcia. Who are well, you putting well, I wasn't above? Counting, I wasn't counting Mikey Garcia there. He fights yeah. this weekend, dude. Like He's he officially a welterweight. No, he's, he's, he hasn't fought there yet, so I'm not counting him. And he's not going to stick around a welterweight, I don't think. so. Uh, you just wait and see, because I no, think if, you are going to be pleasantly I... surprised with what you see on Saturday. I, I think he's going to do well. I just don't think he'll stick around. No, 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 I Stu. Think... Stu, we've gotten to this argument. Tell, tell the world. Tell them. What? Tell I him, think... Go ahead. I, I think Garcia will beat Spence. Is that what you want to hear? I don't know. You tell me what your opinion is. That's, that is my opinion. Okay, so the guy that says that he thinks Mikey Garcia is going to beat Errol Spence, which I don't think is a crazy take, but I think it's crazy that you're not willing to include this guy who you believe is going to be Errol Spence, the number one welterweight in the world. He is not a welterweight no, no, right no, now. No, 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 no. But, but, but that's that's like I don't think he is. I don't. I like it's. Would you rank Usyk in heavyweight rankings right now? Even if he had a fight he, signed at heavyweight, I would. Well, there isn't his fight coming up shortly at heavyweight. Against who and where? 
<laughs> it's TBA in Chicago. Uh, yeah. But, but like, hotbed. you know, he's. I think looking at the situation right now, Mikey's probably not going to stick around at Welterweight. And he hasn't fought there yet. I think it's reasonable to not put him in rankings. Yeah, because he's going to move up to 154. <laughs> After he beats Spence, right? He's going to move to 154 and fight, what, Jared Hurd? Mikey's going to go all the way to light heavyweight. Hey, Porter's moving up to, to Cruiserweight to, to rematch Ushik. Um <laughs> I mean, I think that Porter's going to basically tread water. Like, wherever you thought he was, he's probably still there. Because he's beaten enough guys that it's hard to put those other guys above him. They, they, like, there's nobody that's going to take his spot. I, I mean, if you want to give Ugas a spot, fine. You, you, you know, that's some people get emotional like that. And they're like, well, no, I'm going to put Sergey Kovalev pound for pound number one. I don't care. Um, although there was also the people that kept Manny Pacquiao pound for pound number one after Floyd beat him. Yeah, <laughs> that legitimately happened, guys. Like, okay. Um, I think Ugas is going to rise up for sure. I don't know that he rises as high as you say, Stu, as a top five welterweight. But he's certainly, I think, around number seven. And I think most importantly out of this fight, he got the moral win. You know, if Max Kellerman was here, he'd talk about the story of the fight. (laughs) I think we got to roll with that. Um, But I think he got a moral win. Like, you know, who was Ugas before this? Now who is he? I think he won a lot of people over. And and I think a lot of people like to be hipsters and contrarians. And they just want to go with, like, the ulterior storyline. And um, let's move on. I, I, I lost my train of thought. So we're going to talk about April I, I got it. Yeah, Ugas will like come out of this because he already has losses there. And so he wasn't really well known. So people are going to cling on to him because they'll feel that he got robbed. And so he'll, he'll, he'll get a couple more fights. And he's shown that he can hang with the guys at the top. So you want these kind of uh, guys like Ugas because it fleshes out the welterweight a bit more. You need some mid-tier guys, especially when you got guys who look like dominant fighters you need some more names in the mix yeah i i, I agree and, and it it really strengthens pbc's stronghold over welterweight right now they add another name into the mix uh in a in a, in a already deep pool um it's, it's a good it's a good it was a good weekend for them and then you have abel ramos versus francisco santana fighting at welterweight on the undercard and while abel ramos doesn't come off looking like he's gonna beat spence or anything he looked like maybe he deserves a shot um, at Sean Porter or somebody. Uh, it, we had a good fight between these two guys. Um, do you guys have any take about this fight? No, I thought, like, yeah, they, this fight got moved up because Fonfar retired. So they, they they performed. It was a good fight. You know, it's like it's just a nice, solid fight you can see between two guys going at it. You what are know, the odds that Dazen pays Fonfar some money to come out of retirement to fight Bivol? Who knows? Maybe you'll probably get like twenty million a fight with the way they're going. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was a good fight at action. Like I think Fox is really committed to having these kind of fights on. Where it's like, hey, we don't care that it's not like the the number two versus number three guy, but like we want people to see good action. Give them a good fight. We want people to be entertained while they wait for the main event. And this seemed like a good opportunity. And these guys put on a show. I mean, it was a violent fight. There was knockdown. A knockdown. There was uh, a little bit of a back and forth. Um, I, I thought it was pretty good. Stu, you probably didn't even watch this fight. Uh, no, I didn't. But I think the idea of a fight like that, which is between two kind of not very good fighters, but it makes an entertaining fight. It's something that, you know, is always useful in an undercard. Can be almost get you excited for the main event. 
Yeah. Um, and then F.A. Ajagba uh, basically makes Amir Mansour quit on the stool. I think it was after the second round. Um, is F.A. Ajagba on your radar as a heavyweight prospect? And, like, a legitimate heavyweight prospect. Not just a guy that's like, he's going to knock out a bunch of dudes. But, like, do you see this guy at the top? Is there a future for him? There could be. He's 24. He's young. You know, if they bring him along, right? I don't think uh, they should throw him in quick with anyone. You know, if they bring him along right, yeah, he'll be good. You know, like, come on, why not? Big guy, young, you can learn. What do you think, Stu? Uh, I don't I don't think the fight last night really told us anything about a Jagba because Mansur wasn't there to fight. Mansur, he's really just there to put a name on his record, so to speak, even if it, he's awful. I think if he's a, you know, he's a big guy with long arms who hits really hard and there's still so much to find out about him if he does at the top level. I think just how hard he punches and the way he's built, you know, he's going to go at least, you know, top 10 just because he's hit so hard and he's physically a complete monster. But as soon as you start getting him in there with the top people, you know, it's such a big question of, is he still good there? Does his power carry over when there's a live body on the other side? So really, it's just so tough to tell right now. Uh, how soon do you think he should be in the ring with Joe Joyce? Oh. Dude, this is your, your cue. Uh, actually, I, th- I think it would, it would be, uh, you know, I don't think either of them are ready for that fight, so to speak. It is there anything better. Joe Joyce is ready for? That's... You know, is there anything Joe Joyce will ever be ready for? Is more the question. Well, I think he's probably ready to talk about art, art because his his degree of art from the University of Middlesex. <laughs> I was trying to set you up, like you, like you, you that you're like in love with that like factoid. <laughs> it's a joke, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Ajagba is interesting, but I think there are some striking similarities that he has with Joe Joyce that lead me to be a little concerned. Um, Mansoor was hitting him, by the way. He landed on it, landed on him a few times pretty cleanly. And uh, I, I really wonder what a Jogba is going to look like when someone takes him into the fifth round, um, the sixth round, and then beyond. Like, is he going to gas out? And then what happens to him once he gasses out? That's the, like always the concern with heavyweights, and especially tall ones like, like a Jogba, is do they have the stamina to, to win fights? Um, I mean, Anthony Joshua almost looked like he wasn't going to have that. So... That really is the question with him. I think if he fought like a Joe Joyce or something, like he, he man, someone's getting hurt in that fight. Well, that's why heavyweights are great, Dave, because you, you can never really tell. You know, like look at Klitschko looked great, and then he gets smoked by some dude who was fighting barnstormers. You know, it's it's, it's when you're when the heavyweight division will always be premier because that's what's going to happen. You know, you can you can look great, and then you'll just fight some nobody who just cleans a guy out just because of the size. Yeah, I don't think Deontay Wilder was a nobody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about Dimitri Bivol and Joe Smith Jr. No, um, I, I just want one other uh, thing about the uh, Ramos-Santana fight. Like, as far as Fox and PBC, I think that that's why it's good they got a guy like Joe Goosen on, <clears throat> even though some people might not like him, because I think he has a lot of experience with guys who are mid-level fighters. So he can really sell yeah, their story. <laughs> yeah. No, but, you know, he, he's been kicking around in California forever. You know, so, like, he's, he's – I think a lot of, a lot of uh, commentators 
especially ones who are from the sport, when, when they deal with guys who are only at the top, they really can't sell these mid-level guys. But I think Goosen's a guy who can always put some interesting spin on things. That's what I say. I, I, like, I, just, I just, I don't know. I like him. Yeah, no, I, Some I think people don't, but. the commentary is not bad. I do think um, if like there's the scale of like talking, not talking enough and talking too much and Joe Tessitore is way on the other side. I think um, the guy who was doing the commentary last night, whose name I cannot remember, um, it wasn't Kenny Albert, though, who usually does these Fox cars. It was the other guy who does the FS1 cards. He talks just a little too much. Um, yeah, well, they, yeah, but they always, they, you know, Chris these things Myers. take time. To work out, yeah. I don't know. I've, Chris Myers could be kind of funny because he likes to mix it up with guys. I'd, I'd rather have a commentary team that might, you know, threaten to beat each other's ass than guys who are just all <laughs> thinking the same thing. Oh, so show t- uh, you, you, you mean you don't want HBO? Yeah, I don't want HBO. I don't want that group think, you know. I don't you, think you it don't, helps. You don't want them all just like praising uh, Roy Jones and making everything about Roy Jones? <laughs> I don't know, I guess. More like Roman Gonzalez. but it's... I, I've seen Pauly and Al Bernstein in a legit argument before. Like, oh, really? Did. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't like he did. Like, they weren't about to throw blows, but they got into a politics discussion that got a little heated. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Politics, so, yeah, of course, because everyone on that Showtime thing will argue with Pauly over politics. Yeah. Well, that's what happens if you... Never mind. Uh, Dimitri <laughs> Bivol versus Joe Smith Jr., um, Went exactly as I expected. Wide decision for Bivol. I didn't think he was going to stop Joe Smith Jr. Um, is there any cause for concern that Bivol got hurt in the fight? And if you didn't see it, Bivol was hurt about twice. Now, let's scale it back. Um, I, I, I think, well, not that I think. I'll tell you. In the second or third round, he got hit off the top of the head. His leg does a little shake, but that's it. Like, he was totally fine. I think it was just his equilibrium got knocked off for a sec. And then towards the end of the fight, in like the 10th or 11th round, he got hit at the bell. And he got, took a shot, kind of like stepped back and like had to like realign himself. And then he walked back to the ring pretty uh, – to the corner pretty slowly. But it's not like he was just like looking like Keith Thurman in there. Uh, it, it wasn't like that. But do you think that there's there's any cause for concern, Stu? Uh, no. I think we've seen with Joe Smith Jr. in the past, he's a guy who – He's not very good, but he hits hard. And even in the his loss to Sullivan Barrera, he, he knocked him down in the first. He His power is just that power that catches you by surprise almost. He, even when he's landing with single shots, it can shake you. And I think that's what happened with Bevel when he was hit. He, you know, he, he was hurt a bit, but it was almost the surprise of it all. You know, he got hit and he just taken aback a bit and he, he just needed a second to kind of restabilize himself and he was he was fine after that but i think you know it's what you expect from smith he's a guy with not a lot of boxing skill that hits very hard and i think bivel felt that and there's nothing much more to it what do you think fred yeah i'd agree with that because you know smith ended hopkins so he's got power he didn't end hopkins hopkins fell out of the <laughs> ring it was more of a like physics thing gravity you're gonna have to you're gonna have to admit it someday <laughs> yeah, no, it's too late out. You know, Smith's got a lot of power. You know, you're not going to go through a fight without getting hit sometimes. And, you know, that's it. Smith can, he can catch you. So it, nothing, to, I don't think there's anything, you know, it's just a fight. Um, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you guys. I hate to, like, all be in agreement. But I, I don't think that there was much cause for concern. Um, it, but he, the thing is, how well he recovered is more of the story to me. 
And um, while Bivol's not like the pound, like on the pound for pound list at the moment, I do think he's clearly the best guy at 175. I think he can do it all. Um, doesn't have like crazy power or anything, but he doesn't need it. And the fact that he was able to recover from these shots that Joe Smith Jr. was landing on him uh, really speaks to his ability, how good he is as a fighter. Um, do you think it's concerning though that he's he's not uh, stopping guys like Joe Smith Jr. Um, while he's a tough guy, is still a guy that has only fought like once in the past couple of years. Like, um, and he, who works a full time job, shouldn't Bivol be stopping a guy like this? Uh, I don't think so. I think Bivol's just out to win these fights. You know, and I think he's 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 fine with that. I don't think he's really looking to stop guys just to stop him. He's seems content just to take the victory. What about you, Stu? Yeah, I think Bevel's shown in like recent years, he, he doesn't care is in if he should stop someone to get attention and so he doesn't care about that. He's out to win fights, and especially when you get hit by someone and you get wobbled a bit by someone like Joe Smith, you're not going to take any risks. You know, you 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 got a bit hurt. You're not going to push for a KO after that and risk. You know, maybe getting knocked down or even worse getting knocked out and losing the fight you know you're not going to risk that sort of thing so i think it's and it's bevel who's very risk averse so i think it just there was no expectation for him to ko uh yeah i think that's a really good way to describe bevel is that he's pretty risk averse and it's like really like unexpectedly risk averse because we have this expectation that these eastern european guys come over and these guys come and, and while they're very technical they also are there to bang and that's not Bivol. Bivol's a defense-first guy who will throw singular shots because he's gonna. He wants to make sure that he lands at a high percentage. And um, I mean, Bivol has like one of the most advanced amateur styles that's been applied to to the pros. I mean, he's not Lomachenko who's using any tricks or anything like that. But he's just a consistent worker in the ring. Um, you know, if he moved off the back foot a little more, he'd be basically like Arizona Lara. But yeah. Like this might it might hurt his appeal, you know. But I don't think. Well, at least he's trying to learn English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's that. That that's always good. But yeah, I think Bivol's style. It's probably not going to gain him any fans. But you know, it, it, it's nothing. Nothing with this fight says, oh, he's he's an illusion or anything. I think he's he's a very solid fighter. All right, let's move on to Maurice Hooker and Mikel Lepierre. Um, what do you guys think about? Maurice Hooker and how he how he looked in this fight. I thought Hooker looked okay. I think welterweight is probably in the future for him. And if he moves up to welterweight, he's probably not going to be one of the top guys. But, like, I, I think if he's in the Sean Porter realm of things, where, like, you know, you're fighting guys that Sean Porter can beat, like, P- Hooker's there. He could give Sean Porter a tough fight. I, I still would pick Sean Porter over him, and that's even after this fight with Ugas. Um, but I, I think Hooker, at the very least, would make a good fight. I mean, I think Hooker's defense is still pretty bad. Uh, Lepierre was able to land on him uh, some big shots, and, you know, Hooker took him. But that's also because Lepierre has a full-time job, can't really commit to boxing. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, what did you, you think about uh, Maurice Hooker's fight with uh, Mikel Lepierre? Well, it's like, you know, when you say about first-round KOs that tell you nothing, I thought this fight really doesn't say anything about Hooker, you know? It's, 
I don't know. It, it was it was it wasn't that thrilling to me. Sleeping you know. on the greatness of Mikel Lapierre. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I missed something, but it it, it was it was just kind of there as far as a fight goes. You know, Hooker, Hooker didn't really show anything that he was above Lapierre. He just beat him. Do you think that he can hang at welterweight? It depends on the matchups. You know, for where he is, if he's going to stay on the, the zone side of the street, yeah. But if you throw him in with uh, the PBC guys, maybe. Like I said, again, like you're talking about Porter. He might be able to try to use his like height and length a bit there but i don't know i don't i don't think he'll make a lot of noise at welterweight yeah i i think uh hooker would be interesting at welterweight but he's clearly not better than any of the top guys there um he's not even the best at 140 you know like who do you there there, there are a handful of guys out rate above hooker and i think hooker's a good fighter but he's just not there's nothing special about him yeah um but it seems like what they're pushing is a Jack Catterall fight as the next move for them. Um, Stu, is there anything you want to tell us about Jack Catterall that maybe American fans don't know about him? Well, Jack Catterall, he's a, you know, he's a decent fighter. He's not world level. But the funny thing about this is he, he signed with Frank Warren. And, you know, if, if you don't know, Frank Warren very rarely lets his fighters fight on Eddie Hearn shows. And obviously hookers with Matrim USA and then to add to that you know this recent deal with um Bob and Frank Catterall's been shown in the SPM plus a few times you know it would make it even less likely for them to fight on Dazen so I think it's it's a question mark of how this fight happens you know maybe Catterall's contract has run out with Frank I don't know I've heard nothing about it Catterall is uh the number one that rank number one WBO rankings, so maybe it'll go to a purse bid. I, I like. I really just. It's not a fight that makes any sort of sense to me. You know, from outside looking in, I just. I don't see how it would happen, and how they can advertise it like at this point. Yeah, I mean, first of all, um, Dazen really doesn't have much for Hooker at 140, and I'm not saying that you know, to hate on him. Like that was literally what Chris Mannix said that there's really not that much for, for hooker. And, uh, even at welterweight PBC has like all the guys at welterweight. So hooker's kind of in a tough spot. Although I guess there's more for him to do at days at 140. but you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of him fighting Jack Catterall. I think it's a good fight for him. And I think it's one that hooker could win, but it's also not a great fight. Um, as you said, I, I think Catterall must be pretty decent, but like I've not watched every single one of his fights. I think having watched him against O'Hara Davis, I think he would struggle massively against Hooker's reach and his range. I, I think I think he would, Hooker is like a stylistic nightmare for Catterall as well, which just makes it make even less sense to me. Okay. Let's move on to the news. Uh, we thought that Deontay Wilder was going to be fighting on Showtime against Dominic Brazil. But then we heard that he was going to be fighting on Showtime pay-per-view against Dominic Brazil. And the rumored uh, purse for that fight, possibly $12.5 million. And then 
we've heard in the past about ESPN's attempts to sign Wilder and Wilder. Basically, the response to that was the, the Showtime pay-per-view offer. And then we hear that he's meeting with Dazen this week with uh, looking to possibly sign over there with them to get his fight with Anthony Joshua. But then he's also gone on the record and said, I want to fight on regular Fox against Dominic Brazil. I think we can do a huge number. What do you think of all these new developments with Wilder's future, Fred? Uh, well, this is what you get when people start throwing money around. You know, He's going to look out for himself as well he should and uh, take what, the best deal he can get. I, I don't buy a lot of these things, like especially when you're talking about, well, the Brazil was going to be a pay-per-view because you could see some of that was uh, even Rafael was trying to poison the well on that, saying it was going to be $100 a, you know, for the pay-per-view or something like that. that. This is one of those things where, a lot of promoters want to screw people up just to try to, you know, create negative uh, perception out there unless they get what they want. So I don't know. He's fishing around. Maybe he was not too happy about Showtime uh, focusing so much on Fury, though, because like this, this whole thing about him wanting to go to Fox, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe it's just some bad feelings there. But whatever, you know, people like this is it. You're paying these guys so much money. He's going to look for the best deal he can get, which he should. Um, do you think... Actually, I'll let you st- uh, st- go, Stu. What do you make of all this stuff going on with Wilder um, po- potentially switching networks? You know, it, he's going the place where he's getting the most money. It's it's uh, the nature of the money Dazen's paying right now that you realistically, you know, Showtime aren't going match at. Even if they do it on pay-per-view, they're not going to match the amount of money Dazen can pay right now. So he, he's he's taking the most money, and you know you can only respect someone for that. Yeah. You know, I I think it's tough because we have to essentially ask the question of will Wilder or does Wilder have like at what price does Wilder give up the potential, the percentage of a pay-per-view for um, the security of a guaranteed licensing fee for his fight? You know, the rumor of like the $12.5 million for his fight with Dominic Brazil on ESPN or whatever. Um, that's all great, but, and people say, oh, well, he's dumb if he turns that down or whatever. But like the Joshua fight on pay per view is worth like $50 million for Joshua as the A side, assuming that Joshua's the A side. But in general, the fight's going to do over $100 million. There, there's no doubt I have about that. That That is a $100 million fight. And, you turn down a, a payday from that from that pool um, that you would get if you sign one of these contracts where you take a flat fee. Um, that flat fee better be good and and cover the potential earnings that you would get if you fought on pay per view. And th- so there's that. But I also think that Deontay Wilder, while I believe that everyone's out for for number one and everyone wants the most money. I could totally buy that Wilder would rather just fight to a a, a huge um he'd rather fight in a way on a network where a lot of people could watch. You know, cuz we we I I don't think it's controversial to say Dazen hasn't really been a success so far. Hasn't really added a ton of subscribers cuz if they did we would know about it. We don't know about it. So it must not be worth talking about. Um so if that's the case, like I think Wilder sees himself as a potential star that could grow beyond boxing. And if you put bo- put him on a platform where very few people are actually paying attention, 
that ruins the possibility of, you know, Wilder. He said this before. He wants to be an actor. Google it. Don't everybody believe <laughs> I, in Google? I, I think it's at the same time, though, you know, like the Wilder's biggest possible fight right now is the Joshua fight. And the only way he's going to get that at the minute is on Dazen. So, I, I you know, Wilder isn't a, a prospect. You know, he's not gaining that that much. He's gaining a lot by being on TV. But, you know, he's his biggest possible fight is on Dazen. And he's getting paid so much money for it. For um, Let's do die there or something. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, he's we'll stuff, like I said. Walk so, over his body. Yeah, it's it's. I think uh, Wilder's trying to play everyone to shake him up and say, "Well, I got options here, I got options there." Because he's thirty three, he's getting pretty old. That's what Golovkin you know? did. Yeah, you know, I think that's what you're trying to do. He's just trying to push it, but it it can work or it could backfire. Like, uh, you know, like some he might be talking a bit too much, you know, because he might be turning people off. You you never know. He's I don't know. He's got a lot of smart guys around him, and he's no dummy, so. I don't know. He's just trying to make some noise and see who's going to pony up the most money. You know? Why do you because... think it's... Go on. Sorry? No, go ahead. I was I was just going to say, why do you think it's taken a year for Dazen to do what basically they said they wanted to do, they said they were going to do, and what everyone expected them to do last year? <laughs> well, the obvious answer is that uh, Eddie couldn't do it. Like, I think he might have... He might have... Uh, smooth talk the days and guys into thinking he could handle the US market but you know when he came in and he said he had so much money he could he get Jesse Vargas and Demetrius Andrade you know none of the PBC guys jumped and if if he would have had this kind of money flying around you know behind him that skippers throwing around PBC would have made the deal you know he would have got some big names from them yeah I, I think so, so. So yeah, I think I think maybe and maybe they got caught off guard by how fast ESPN Plus was moving in. You know, I, I don't know, but it, but it, but definitely uh, they they probably got suckered by Eddie a bit. I, I think that's exactly what happened. That Eddie Hearn, or at least they believed that Eddie Hearn, given his knowledge, could leverage already existing contracts that he has and his understanding of boxing promotion into a, a, a legitimate takeover of U.S. boxing. And what actually happened is we found out that Eddie Hearn was ill-equipped to do that. And it wasn't until John Skipper took over. I, I think John Skipper took a look at things and saw how um, the deals, the negotiating was going. And, um, you know, po- potentially Dazen themselves, like from, from whatever board of directors said, we need John Skipper. We need you to take more of a, of a hands-on approach here. Because this is not going well. We have no one that this is... I mean, is it possible that they looked at the Joshua fights, the numbers for his first fight, and they were like, this ain't going to cut it? We need yeah. to, a bigger star? And then John well, Skipper says, well, get, get me on the phone with Oscar De La Hoya. Let's get Canelo. HBO's deal is done. Um, let's get Canelo, the biggest star in boxing. And it seems like Eddie Hearn either didn't really understand or... Um, he didn't have access to the the basically the the the, the blank checks. Yeah, I think uh, Eddie was on a bit of a leash, and Skipper isn't obviously, you know, because Eddie's not making these deals, despite what all his fans think. These are all Dazen deals, like these are all Skipper deals. Yeah, for sure. Uh, John Skipper's clearly the one pulling uh, the strings here. And if you don't, if you think Eddie Hearn is in charge, you you don't really understand how this works. John Skipper's the one 
who's in charge now, and he's the one making these deals. He's the one who just recently completed the transaction of signing Gennady Golovkin. Um, Stu, do you have any take here? Uh, I think, for one, I think it's it, it, it's tough for a traditional boxing promoter to almost make a loss on purpose in the way that Dazen are doing with Canelo and stuff, and that they're making a loss to build a subscriber base. I think it's, you know, when you spent your whole career going, right, how do we make a profit off this fight? How do we make a profit off this pay-per-view? It can be tough to almost translate that into saying, right, we just need to get as big, as many eyeballs as possible on Dazen, not caring about the money we're making right now. I think that's a tough thing to transfer in when you've spent, you know, 10 years trying to make money off the fight right now. And also, do you not think there's any potential that they were waiting for that Canelo deal to run out before they start picking up the big stars? Because, you know, as soon as that Canelo deal came in, you know, ran out, they they then started pushing it. They then started pushing the boat out with the money they're paying. Yeah, but if that was the case, then why they have such a big press conference, you know, at the start, saying we're taking over boxing, you know, before that happened, I and think they might. I think they might have shifted uh, maybe direction midstream, you know. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, 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 I'm more of the belief that they they took a look at the way things were going and they realized this, like, just having boxing is not going to work. Anthony Joshua is not going to work as as the 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 main guy, I guess. Um, just wasn't going to cut it, and that's why John Skipper had to get involved and really just uh, start making these deals. And and really, we'll see how this works out. I mean, everyone said PBC's spending was unsustainable, but like they're basically doubling what PBC was spending per year on boxing, and. PBC didn't sign many exclusive agreements. They went all one-off stuff. And so this is a little nuts, especially uh, in the event that these guys start taking losses and they lose their ability to get people interested in watching them fight. That could be troublesome for, for Dazen. Um, you know, it, it, speaking of that, there was a lot of talk uh, when PBC first came out that they were inflating, overinflating the market. They were saturating it. Um, They're driving up prices, and overall, they were going to be detrimental and damaging to the sport, putting a lot of smaller promoters out of business, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but we're not really hearing that this time around with Dazen, and they're spending a, a ton of money uh, for for the fighters that they're, they've signed to these deals. Do you think that boxing fans are showing a double standard by not saying anything? about what Dazen is doing right now. Yeah, of course. You know, it's very hypocritical, especially out of the media. You know, when Heyman was, oh, he was ruining boxing, he's destroying boxing, when he was just trying to get guys like an extra half a million dollars or something. And now Dazen's throwing, you know, $15 million to Danny Jacobs and people aren't saying a thing. They're like, well, you got to spend money to make money, you know, that kind of thing. It, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. And to the point where some people are even saying now Heyman's holding his guys back from making money, which yeah, is just there hilarious. Some, there was some uh, some goof on Twitter that tweeted that out, and it's like, dude, do you understand how this works? Do you, like yeah. how many times do we do people have to tell you what you see reported for, on Dan Rayfield about purses is not what guys make? Yeah, yeah, but but even like if you look at the reaction, like when Showtime signed Floyd, you know he was a proven star, and people shit all over that deal. 
you know, they said Floyd would never finish it. Floyd would never do this. And it turned out with the three biggest, you know, fights in history out of it. You know, and but now it's like Dazen's dumping. Dazen says they want to be the Netflix of sports, but Netflix is completely different because Netflix has an established customer base, you know, with the trading and the DVDs and everything. So they've started their streaming as an add-on to that. Uh, Dazen's starting from zero, and they have no hook to anyone. Now they're trying to get these hooks. Uh, like, people might not know, but there's a company called SFX Entertainment, and they were started by the guy who started uh, the place that joined up with Ticketmaster, Live Now or whatever, whatever. Anyway, he started one of those ticket companies. He tried to take over the EDM scene, you know, like the techno music and everything. And he, he started spending money, like huge amounts of money. They went public company and everything. And they started dumping money and they ended up being bankrupt. And now they've like reformed and cut money. But but people people just for some reason think Dazen's, they got a plan. But they might not be, you know, because you see this in boxing a lot. People jump into boxing, they start dumping a lot of money, but for some reason, some some people think that they're all smart and everything. When, but when we see PBC, which had a lot more boxes, a lot more talent, and a lot broader audience, they lost a lot of money trying to do this. But then, for some reason, people think, "Oh, Dazen's going to be a success." But really, you're getting uh, all. All they're really doing is offering ten dollar pay per views. Because and thinking they're going to get, why would you stay for a year with Days and Rally for what they're offering? Because uh, yeah. you're lazy. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, that, that's what that's really what they're going to hope for. People forget to cancel. Because are you really, even the people on Twitter, the writers who love talking about Days and's great, you never see them tweet about any of these other fights. You know. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, when was the last time you saw these guys tweeting about Jesse Vargas versus Humberto Soto? <laughs> yeah. That's it. Those are the, those aren't the kind of fights that people are going to stick around. They'll watch on Fox, you know, FS1, but you're not going to be paying a lot of money to keep that because that's all I see with Dazen doing. But you know, more it's for the boxers. It's great for boxers. Yeah, you know, jump in. Do you think that this is going to be troublesome? Like you know, a big investment has been made in boxing, and I and I don't believe that it's going to at the end of the day when the deal is up that it's going to be seen as successful. Even PBC, I think Fox may look back at it and say um, it wasn't as successful as we wanted. It might be successful to an extent, but who knows? Okay, I don't think it's. But I, I don't think it's going to be as successful as maybe they they envision it. Uh, and Days definitely won't be as successful. And do you think that will lead to a like a, a period where it, boxing basically goes quiet and we go back to the way it was before? where you only have maybe one or two networks showing boxing and basically it, it, it's relegated to, to the what it was before. Oh yeah, eventually. Like this is what boxing's always done. You know, it's got, always gone through these cycles where like I said people it's gone forever since even before television. You know, it'll go through boom times and it'll it'll dive out. The the big thing I think the boom time now is driven by that uh, Mayweather McGregor fight as much as people savaged it. When you got all these people to see how much money that fight made out of nowhere, like just out of a goof. But the problem is they don't have uh, Mayweather anymore. You know, like look at Canelo. Canelo doesn't want to sell his fights. Golovkin doesn't sell fights. Anthony Joshua really doesn't know how to sell a fight. They're trading on personality a lot, but none of those guys can sell a junk fight. Uh, Yeah, I mean, well, that's definitely 
a skill to be able to sell a fight that realistically, you know, should not sell. Obviously, Mayweather should like Mayweather versus Birdo should not have sold, but yet it did. And uh, there's very few guys in the sport at the moment who can clearly do that. Um, Gerald Miller's trying. I'll give it to Gerald Miller. He's trying. It's just not going to be successful. But I, I really do think that we could be heading to to a period where Dazed may say uh, we're going to cut back on boxing because we've spent a lot and haven't seen a, a drive in subscriptions. Um, ESPN could cut down, uh, especially if they get the NHL deal or they increase their NFL package. Um, you know, what does that leave us with? Showtime has basically been steady. HBO might come back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You never know. But yeah, that's it. It's boxing because boxing's open, you know, really. To get in the NFL, you got to put up a big spend, you know. And NFL's a bit too smart for that, you know. They go, they want the many people as they can, you know. They're not going to go to a streaming service that's unproven. Wait, why, I want to ask you a question. Um, why do you know this stuff about EDM? Uh, what's that? Why do you know this stuff about EDM? Oh, uh, just out of a thing, you know, I read a lot of garbage. Okay. The dead mouse, he's a, the Canadian techno guy. He was making fun of him. Okay. You know, because he, he was talking about, uh, just because, uh, like I said, I read about Vegas and I go to Vegas and you could see all these clubs that were putting up so much money for these uh, techno guys, you know, like ridiculous amounts of money, even though I think Marshmallow got some $60 million deal or whatever. So people are still doing it, but uh, they were putting up these huge festivals. Like you're, you're talking, they're paying guys a million dollars a weekend and it just, it couldn't sustain itself. Fred with the, with the deep dive on, on the techno scene. Uh, well, you... yeah, this is interesting. Cause well, I was sitting one time at the, uh, MGM Sportsbook, and you could see people like a cattle cult just running to this Hawkesaw nightclub, and then, you know, the next year it wasn't as big. So, do you think Dazen is going to be harmful, like in terms of what they're doing right now to the sport? To the sport? Now, like I don't know. Kellerman had that thing they posted, which is pretty funny, where he's like, you know, now we've got three people who care about the sport or whatever. It's, it, it's not. It's always going to be a sport of individuals. That's boxing. You know, you can't get people to care about the sport. You know, they're always they're going to gravitate towards thing, and that that's always that's why boxing survives because it's it's you know it can, it can decline for a few years, but then someone comes along that catches the public's attention. Um, yeah, so so I, I I think it hurts your exposure. Like I like I said, you said before, if Dazen had big numbers, they'd announce it. Yeah, ESPN Plus every t- they every chance they get, they tell you their numbers because they're good. Um, and we're not seeing that with them. I mean, ESPN Plus is already they're they're on track to add another million subscribers probably at some time this year. Um, and I, I definitely am on board with like the, the only harm that this is going to do is it's like there's probably a lack of exposure right now. Um, there's definitely not going to people aren't going to be watching these fights as much as the Fox fights for sure, just by nature of one is free and one you got to pay for and. Yeah, nine ninety nine isn't a lot, but I pay less than nine ninety nine for Showtime. I pay less than nine ninety nine for ESPN Plus. So like, people talking about the price, yeah, I always find that kind of weird. Um, anyway, Gennady Golovkin signed with Dazen, six fight deal. Um, I think that's not discussed very uh, as much as it should be. This is a six fight deal for a soon to be thirty seven year old. What kind of matchmaking 
do you expect and what will be his record for those six fights? It's going to be trash fights. You think so? Yeah. You get trash fights and then Canelo. Well, look, there's even writers. You know, Keith Idek said uh, he was yelling at people on Twitter that, no, oh, he's not going to fight on draw day because it's too much of a risk before the Canelo fight. So <laughs> that's kind of funny that now writers are – Golovkin gets so many excuses made for him, and it's just bizarre to see it again. Like, he's, he's taking a lot of money, but how are you – like you said, he's 37 years old. What are you going to get out of him? You're going to get a Canelo fight – and what else? Like to put out eight figures for this guy, like his biggest gate was four million dollars against Danny Jacobs, like without Canelo. So that just seems like that's like you want to talk overpaying for a fighter, you know? That's they made fun of Andre Ward when Rock Nation signed him. You know, Cotto, they were laughing about how much money they were losing on Cotto fights. Cotto was far more popular than uh, Golovkin ever was, but it's I don't know, it's bizarre. But again, Golovkin, good for him, you know. What Take you, what they're going to give you. What do you think, Stu? Well, I think, you know, they're, they're paying a lot of money to Golovkin, not for Golovkin, so to speak, but for the Canelo-Golovkin rematch. You know, they're paying for a fight. They're not paying for the fighter. You know, I think, and it's a question of after that fight happens, which, you know, presumably will be two or three Whenever fights. Whenever John two. Skipper says he wants it made. Yeah, it, and which will likely be two, three fights into the deal. It's like... I think it'll do be they September. Just... They don't have two or three fights to go. D- yeah. The, the opt-out well, is next year. Is it next year? Uh, well, like, presumably, yeah, it'd be shortly. And it's... Will they just stop caring about Golovkin at that point? Like, is that... You know, they, will they just throw him to the wolves? Because after that fight, what is he going to draw? No one's... No one's paying ten bucks to see Golovkin. We've saw that, you know. He, Golovkin always drew decent, not bad numbers on TV, but you know, never anything more than that. And you know, I just don't see what he can do. I don't think he brings anything but that fight. And, and um, oh, go on, Fred. Like I don't get, I don't, I don't get the appeal of the third fight with Canelo. Why not? Like, because he already lost those first two ones, and the second fight was a bit of a decline with no competition really around it, you know, because they always said, oh, the first fight would have been bigger if not for the Mayweather-McGregor fight. But then the second one came, they had no competition. You know, they even had the delay, and it did less. You know, so what's a third one going to do? Golovkin's just going to be older, you know. Canelo, especially if Canelo beats up Jacobs, you know, it's going to be big for, like, forum fans, but then most of the people are just streaming it anyway, so they're not paying for it, so they're always a bad gauge. Of like how popular Golovkin is, you know. I, I just I just don't see the appeal. And like I said, but as far as Golovkin is, yeah, if they're going to pay the money, you got to take it. But I just don't. I don't. I don't see Canelo Golovkin three as being a fight that's really going to boost Dazen. Um, given he's thirty seven years old, let's say he fights all six fights. What do you think his record is going to be in those six fights? Well, that's it. Who's he going to fight? Well, you're just going to have to use your imagination there. You know, like he's going to fight the Jack Catterall's or whatever. You know, if, if they give him the same fights or given Tevin Farmer, he could be six and zero or five and one, I guess, because he can lose to Canelo. Ooh, but yeah. uh, he's going to lose again. He lost. What if they twice put him already. in there with Andrade or or Jacobs? Do you think that it's a sure thing that Golovkin beats those guys? Uh, maybe Jack not Catterall? Jacobs. <laughs> yeah. Andrade, 
maybe because I don't know if Andrade's that good, but Andrade's at least mobile. But he didn't look too good in his last fight. So, what do you think, Stu? Uh, about if he beats Andrade or in the topic as a whole. Uh, yeah, if he beats Andrade or Jacobs. I th- I think he beats Andrade. I don't like Andrade at all. You, you know. Think... Go on. I think Jacobs is. You know, the first one was moderately close, and Golovkin just going to be older. So you know that that again, you know, would be not quite a toss up, but it would be a close, a close call and who would win. You know, I think they could potentially move him up to 168. You know, they they have some options at 168. There's obviously Callum Smith there. Like who? Rocky Fielding. You know, Callum Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a difference between those two guys? You know, what ones? They're, they're both world champions not, at 168. Not anymore. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, I I don't I don't know that I like the move at 168. I I feel like there's not much for him to do at 168. Like, what is there to do? He fights Bivol, who moves down? I don't but think the, that's I, a smart move. I don't, I don't think there's much oh. to do for them at 160 either. Like, you know, if a they don't want... A rematch with David Lemieux? <laughs> at 160, there's there's Andrade, there's Jacobs, there's Canelo. But presuming, like, Jacobs is coming off a loss to Canelo, they won't want to stick him again in the Triple G, which could be another loss. Uh, I I just think it's kind of crazy that they're paying so much money for a 37 year old. I mean, it's it's not like Golovkin's Manny Pacquiao. Like Manny Pacquiao for sure has got to deal with PBC, blah blah blah. But he's also proven to be one of the most popular fighters of this je- generation. Gennady yeah, Golovkin, like, outside yeah, of like his, go on. I'm sorry, sorry to cut you off, but yeah, Manny's Manny's faded, but he's also the second biggest draw in pay per view history. Yeah, you know. so it's 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 a much different ball game with the, comparing these two fighters. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty optimistic though that Golovkin's going to go at, at at a minimum four and two. I think it's very likely he loses a rematch with Canelo, and I think I, I think it's possible that he could lose um, to Andrade. I think if Andrade can move on him, Golovkin's getting older. Um, it's not a case of Golovkin is not as good as Andrade because we know prime for prime, Golovkin would stop him. That would not even be a question. But, um, you know, you're 37 years old, uh, and you've been in some wars. I mean, he's – Golovkin has had some pretty tough fights. He's, both Canelo fights are very tough. The Danny Jacobs fight was tough. It, it's kind of – it kind of sucks being – at, at 37 years old, you finally fought your big fights. It's like Sergio Martinez. Like, yeah, he got his big fight, and then what happens? He immediately broke down and had to cash out against Miguel Cotto, and it wasn't pretty at the end. Um, uh, yeah, that, you know. that's what I'm saying. That's why the Golovkin signing. I know he's like he's a big name, but his his big fights was Canelo, and no matter his fans think he won him or anything, but he still he took a beating against Canelo. You know, Canelo was hammering with those body shots. I and mean, when you're that old, those start to affect you. You know, that's why Floyd went, his dad, you know, especially forced him to go pure defense. Like, because you don't, you're not bouncing back from taking shots like that. Yeah. Um, let's move on. Dillian White appears like he's going to be signing with top rank, as is Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, is this a question of Bob Arum and Frank Warren have said, we are not letting these other guys win. Let's join forces and see if our forces combined could put us over the top. 
Yeah, it looks like it, eh? The old timers are gathering, joining up and uh, fighting off the new blood. But yeah, it, it's like, uh, who knows who Dillian White is outside of the UK, you know? Are you trying to so, make the case that this signing doesn't matter? It, I, I don't see how it fits. Like I said, sure, ESPN, of course, you need heavyweights. But you got now their plan is to get two British heavyweights that, you know, people kind of know Fury. But I don't think anyone in the U.S. knows who Dillian White is. Um, I, I think clearly the move is that you need somebody for Tyson Fury to fight. And I think they believe that Fury, uh, or not Fury, but Dillian White can promote a sort of fight against him. But, you know, that's 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 about it. I, I don't see it like, I, I think maybe it's a move just like getting numbers, you know? Getting numbers of people who've been in recognizable fights, which these guys have. Um, Dillian White's clearly been in the ring with Anthony Joshua. And I think by association, it will rub off on Fury if Fury were to beat Dillian White. Although if Dillian White beats Fury, that would be ridiculous. Um, but also really funny. But I, I, I don't think these moves really matter too much because um, outside of Fury... Dillian White's not a draw, and neither is Billy Joe Saunders. And adding them to the mix on ESPN will not move any numbers whatsoever, um, at least using our predictable sort of sensibilities about boxing, right? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I think it is. They just wanted to get into the mix, but it's, ugh, I don't know. It's, it's whatever, I guess. So what's your f- prediction for where... Deontay Wilder's next fight will be. I have no idea. You got to pick Fox. Up. He's going to Fox for sure. I, I don't know. Like exactly, this is it. This, this is. I like this kind of chaos, but I can't. I can't read anything. No one knows because every, everyone's going crazy. When there's so much crazy money in boxing, who knows where people are going to land up? What about you, Stu? Where think, will yeah. Deontay Wilder's next fight be? I think it ends up at days, and you know if the. If the rumors of this offer is true, which I presume they are, you know they're pay- they're chucking around such crazy money to Golovkin. Why wouldn't they do it to Wilder and make potentially the biggest fight in boxing today? You know, I think it just if you're paying seventy million or whatever it was for Golovkin, you know, throw some money down for Wilder. All right. Well, you heard it from these guys. I'll just say Showtime so that each one of us has a different prediction. But that's it for this week. I want to thank you guys for listening. And you may notice we did not talk about the Spence Garcia pay-per-view. That's going to be its own podcast. I will have a, a, a podcast to discuss the entire card, pay-per-view buys, the business aspect of it, how many people we think there will be in Cowboy Stadium, etc., etc. Um, and that will be releasing tomorrow. Um, so thanks for listening, Fred. Stu, thanks for coming on. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Now go have fun and watch Fast Lane. Fast lane. What, Stu? Go. Never ever shoot below the net. Never ever. You a rookie. You a rookie. I'm a vet. I'm a vet. That's why I got a Glock. You got a tech. Not checkers. Not checkers. This chest.